Welcome everyone to Spirited Discussions. I am your host, Lachlan Watt, a passionate alcoholic and alcohol educator with years of experience in both the spirits and bar industries. Throughout this series, we are going to explore the history and production of some of our favorite vibations, and in each episode, I'll be joined by an incredibly experienced guest. Together, we will delve into a topic with all of the information that you need to understand why you enjoy what you're drinking, as well as some fun tidbits to share with your friends. I'm so looking forward to taking you on this journey to discover the wonderful world of alcohol. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Spirited Discussions. I am your host, Lachlan Watt, and today we will be discussing the history of distillation and its relevance to some of these more cultural spirits. I'm joined today by a friend of mine and guest, Matt Bailey. Hi, welcome. Thank you, Lachlan. Thank you for having me on. Uh, if you don't mind, I'll get you to give me a little bit of history on your background in this industry and maybe some of the relevance to the topic today. Yeah, sure. I'm, uh, I, I've been working in spirits for more than 10 years and I um, have always found a, a passion and fascination in early distillation and different community spirits that uh, come up from, from whiskey and from other spirits and gin and Geneva and pochine and all those kind of things that come around. Uh, it's all in the journey of discovering this. And I've been, like I say, working at the SNWS and, and yep. other places in whiskey for a long time. And it's all part of the journey. And whiskey's come out of this cultural spirit being Vishkabar, which we- is now, you know. Whiskey owes a huge debt to this spirit. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Now, um, we might start off, as we always do, with a little 60-second history on this topic. So well, I'm going to time you. Yeah, I might get you to... To throw a timer on, I'm going to try my best. Um, it's a really dense topic, and I'm hoping to make it as entertaining as possible. But, okay, well, we're yeah. going to talk. Okay, I'm going to give you 60 seconds, and I'm going to give you the countdown, and I'm going to wind you up here, but you, you've got oh, to be ready, okay? Don't wind me up. I'm going to give you three, two, one, and go. All right, so alcohol is developed a long, long time ago when some lucky bugger cooked some grains and added some honey and left it out overnight and started to see it fermented and drank it and realized it made him happy, had a good time. They continued to do so. Distillation starts to be developed in the, uh, in the, before the common area period by the ancient Babylonians in Mesopotamia. And it starts to spread out around the world like a spider web to produce uh, perfumes and medicines and the first potable spirits is produced uh, around the 11 to 1300s by the Spanish, the Dutch, the Irish, the French, all producing different styles of spirits known as the water of life. 10 seconds. Jesus Christ. Okay. Don't, don't rush me. <laughs> so these all develop into what we now know as our core spirits being brandy, whiskey, and rum. Stop. It's, stop. It's well, too late. That's just 60 seconds. I'm going to continue. Okay, anyway. you can continue. But we've got also all of these cultural spirits that have retained on where people are trying to re- reduce the amount of waste, like grappa, like uh, pochin in Ireland, like shochu in Japan, like um, rakia in Europe as well, and cipro in Greece. All of these cultural spirits are really ingrained in people around the world. Yeah. Well, you're Look, about I'll, 60 I seconds did, over, but that's okay. That's you got okay. there. You I got there. That's okay. Could. That's okay. Yeah, it's not about being perfect. It's about being correct. <laughs> <laughs> of which we are neither. So that's okay. <laughs> Better to be zero for two than two for two, right? <laughs> sure. Okay, good. Good. Brilliant. 
All right. Well, I, I think we should just start off by going through some of these rustic spirits that uh, this history of distillation has led to. This Obviously, this community spirit that is still permeating through culture through to this day. So what was your first experience with one of these rustic cultural spirits? Uh, I mean, I, I've, I've tasted pochine and old spirits like, like rustic spirits, I think is a good, is a good word for it. I'm not sure how else to phrase it. Um, over the years, actually more recently was, was what you've presented to me actually at the bar, uh, were things like this Mitchell, but there's, what was it? It was actually, I think it was Teeling that put out a, yeah. a pochine in their very, very early days of the brand. And, uh, Glendalock and a few others that were trying to put out. Glendalow? Glendalock. Glendalock? Yeah. Are you sure on that? Yeah. All Confident. right. Confident. Glendalow, Glendalock. Okay. Uh, yeah, they did it. They did a pochine as well. And I think it was one of those, uh, I think when that came out, it actually predates my time at the society. And I was, um, I was doing private tastings around the world. And I, I just, uh, that was one of those ones where I was like, oh, this is a, a taste of what I guess raw spirit or pochine uh, tastes like. And I think that was a really important turning point for me in terms of understanding that, that category. But that, that category has expanded so much in the last few it, years. Well, I mean, it was legalized again finally in Ireland very, very recently, in fact. And we've seen all these craft producers coming up, but you've also had the same thing with uh, Moonshine in the United States. Mm. But then you've also, we've all had these experiences with a neighbor producing grappa or rakia or cipro uh, uh, or whatever it is. And uh, I remember my father, um, who was a chef uh, for a long time, would give some food from his restaurant to our next door neighbor for Christmas. In return, we would get a bottle of rakia that he was making in his backyard. And I, uh, that was my very first experience with the, these kind of community spirits that were produced in people's backyards. It was mostly made out of waste from mm. winemaking or, or cooking, cooking yeah, or whatever. Yeah. It was all about uh, trying to limit the amount of waste that you were uh, producing. And that, that's kind of what uh, I guess... Even going to things like uh, grappa, which is made entirely out of the the leaves or the you know the skins and seeds of wine production, mm. and fermenting those and then distilling it, mm. um, are we starting to see a bit of, uh, I guess, more commercial production of these things uh, outside of well, uh, as we've already talked about, pochine being more commercial nowadays. Mm. Mm. Uh, is that what's what's the question there? Uh, sorry, is, are we starting to see more and more of this uh, rustic spirit being produced commercially? I think so. But it's, of- I mean, it's still a micro market, though. It is. It's you know, it, it's it's only those who sort of seek it out or know what it is, and outside of some maybe some very sturdy Irish farmers who maybe drink it on the regular. Well, have you seen? Um, I guess some more modern grappas being produced as well, or. I've seen bits and bobs produced here and there. I mean, there's there is some modern there's some modern Australian ones. There's also some modern Italian ones that I've seen as well. Uh, I'm not sure. I, I'm not sure if they if that's sort of like uh, I don't know. Do you think that's sustainable? I mean, it, it, do you think there's enough interest in that category for it to be its own? I do. Maybe it's just me personally uh, because I I find this this kind of spirit as I know you do as well very very interesting and seeing I love it where it comes yeah. from and. Can you share with us that community rel- relevance historically? Uh, well, a lot of it, as you said, came down to waste of food, came to waste of supplies, and and it is a very Irish um, and and Scottish tradition of to not to not to waste. 
Yeah. Uh, um, it, uh, I'm not going to, I'm not going to dob her in, but a, a good friend of mine who's Scottish, she once said, um, uh, don't worry about Scots. They don't have any money in their pockets. Their pockets are full of thistles. And, and, <laughs> and, 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 and I, I quite like that, but it's true. I mean, it's, it was, it came, it came from sort of a necessity of, of product and necessity of that sort of sharing of and bootlegging and evading the tax man. I mean, Scotch whiskey and Irish whiskey has a huge history of tax evasion uh, and producing spirit without, you know, without the tax man knowing what you're producing. And yeah, uh, this was born out of that. It was, it was community sort of driven spirit that was driven out of not having a having the tax man on your back. Well, I mean, I've got two anecdotes about this. First one is a more personal one, which is um, leading back into the the Scottish having thistles in their pockets. Sure. Um, I always talk, especially through the tastings that I run, that the Scottish are a very frugal people. They are incredibly frugal people. They can be. They can be. Yeah. And for the most part, they are. Yeah. And I had a personal connection with that with my father who moved over here when he was 18 from far northern Scotland, as as you know. Yeah. I always tell this story that he still wears a pair of shoes I grew out grew out of when I was 16. <laughs> he still has these pair of bright green Converse's that I couldn't wear anymore, so he just started wearing them. Does he realize he's wearing bright green Converse? Yeah, super happy with them. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay, that's good. Yep. Very, very frugal people. Um, but I guess that also leads into the same thing. Around the world, these spirits were also made about just trying to not waste anything. Mm. For a long time, people were working hard to sustain human life, and so... A lot of that is about creating things that were obviously perf- originally perfumes or medicines. And we realized that we drink this stuff and it'd make us happy. So mm. kept producing that. But a lot of this stuff was designed to reduce that waste like we're, we've been talking about. So grappa was one of those as well. Yeah, yeah. Distilling the skins and seeds. You've got shochu in Japan, and again, a community spirit with a very similar ties to uh, pochin or aquavite or vishkibar in, yep. in the UK. Um, and it's so interesting to see two sides of the world that have very similar cultural ties or a very similar style of spirit. Yeah, and, and that came about through yeah, cultural sharing and, and, and community efforts to evade tax and to, and to basically be able to get on the piss. Because I, it was, it was, but also make things more stable. like Things like sake and beer, they're not entirely stable. No. They will break down, they will go bad. Yeah, yeah. If you distill it. It can last through your winter or what have you. It was preservation of goods as well. It, yeah. You've just touched on there. It was that preservation of goods that you'd brewed and then couldn't hold on to. Um, and that, but that was much later though. That was because of oversupply rather than undersupply. Yeah. Uh, it, it entirely yeah. was. People growing too much and just making sure they're not wasting anything. Yeah. And yeah, pres- preserving that and either using it as medicines or. Yeah. Yeah. You know. Well, the, a little the history bit of shits and giggles. Of, the history of spirit as a medicine is something that I find quite fascinating. In that it, that, it is that history of like um, of high proof spirit being used as an ailment, you being used as something to to ail your woes and to to fix things. And that that was that was hundreds of years of history. And it and it was actually one of the reasons that some well whiskey is still produced in the United States, for example, because. Mm. Distilleries managed to get a distilling license for med- uh, medical purposes. Mm, mm. But also this was a period of time where doctors would prescribe you with alcohol, cocaine, and heroin to cure <laughs> what ails you, right? <laughs> You've got ghosts in your blood. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, need, you need heroin, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, 
Yeah. <laughs> that's a different history. Yeah, that's a cool one. Yeah. yeah. That, that, that is the time, right? Where, where doctors didn't really understand uh, anything more technical as far as uh, medicine was concerned. So they understood what they had, which was amphetamines and alcohol and et cetera. So <laughs> yeah. uh, alcohol was produced for medical purposes for, for hundreds of years. It still is to this day. You've still got medical ethanol and stuff like that. So, Which it, it, there was a distillery, I, I, I won't say the name, but there's a distillery I was, I was recently working with um, who are producing a, a vast amount of liquid and, and it was something like 90 or 95% of their output goes to medical uses in Japan and parts of Australia. Right. So it's like, so you say, oh, well, that's a, you're producing a lot of literature. You're producing something like 80 million litres of alcohol a year. What are you doing with it all? Oh, you know, a tiny bit of it goes into gin and whiskey, but most of it goes into... I um, mean, there's that big distillery in New South Wales, uh, Manildra, which obviously produces uh, food-grade ethanol, mm, which mm. is made from wheat, and then uh, hospital-grade ethanol, which is for cleaning and disinfecting yeah. and yeah. et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So and it, then it, industrial grade ethanol. So it's like the series. We're still in the same. Nothing's changed. Yeah. I mean, we're still living in that same era. And I think going back to the original question of these, these spirits of, of pochines and shochu and, and new make and whatnot has, has, has evolved. And is it's almost a, I'm always, look, I'm always really worried, like wary about these kind of realms of spirit though. Yeah. Why like, is that? Well, I mean, what are they like? It's almost like a throwback for the sake of a throwback. Like we're 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 just just deciding that we're going back to what tasting what pochin tasted like in say early nineteen hundreds or late eighteen hundreds sort of era, and it's like or even early seventeen hundreds kind of era of spirit making. When a it's never going to taste the same because we're using different barley, different water, different also different processes. We understand the processes much more, and we can make better quality spirit than we ever could before. So, But they're also misunderstood products. Isn't like, where do you use them? Well, you and I right now, for those listening, are drinking this out of neat Glencairn glasses. Yeah. Typically, Pochin would, would have just been drunk out of whatever vessel you had at... Some bit of ceramic because glass was expensive. No. Yeah. It was more often ceramic or tin. Tin. Yeah. And never really... So, so, so this revival, Mike... I don't understand what the the purpose is. I I think there is a purpose for it, which is you know, people love to see where these things come from. So we've been talking about this. Well, but who right? buys this? Who buys this product? Like, well, what's, this what's the... pro- this product is not really exported anywhere outside of Ireland. So this product is um, that might Mikhil, be your answer right there. Yeah. Mikhil Pochin and Pochin is still widely consumed in Ireland, as you well know. I'm going to pour another one of these. Yeah, if that's okay. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Thanks. Um. And this is widely consumed still in Ireland. It's still a traditional spirit and it's still a community spirit to this day in Ireland where people make it in their backyards. People make it... Um, but this is commercialized their, now. This is a commercial product and it's only since 2015 that this has been properly commercialized. And we're starting to see all of these brands producing pochin around, around Ireland for mm. the, the, the consumer market. But still, it's been produced there for hundreds of years because it's... More akin to the origins of whiskey than it is to, well, then whiskey is still to this day. So, yeah. But who's buying it? The Irish. 
and that's it. And that's it. Yeah. I, people, I, I, I come from this from a commercial slash marketing hat on, and I go, I don't. I understand. I enjoy the product. I just don't. I think it's misunderstood. It's the same with moonshine in America, right? Sure. People drinking moonshine are Americans. Okay, so here's a, here's one for you. People moonshine... drinking grappa are yeah. Italians. People drinking rakia from Turkey, etc. Okay, um, okay. So moonshine America, rakia in Turkey, or shochu Japan. What is the Australian equivalent? We don't really have one. Ah, unless well, you because Australia's can... history of spirits was based on basically basic uh, European spirit culture. Oh, I was going to say Fiji and rum, but yes, you know, to some extent. Yeah. Um. But most mostly rum, cheap imported rum. Yeah, was our was our background in in spirits in modern day Australia? Modern day, yeah, absolutely. Well, two hundred years ago, yes. Yeah. <laughs> but um. Uh, well, as well as like the initial whiskey, well, distilled grain spirit that was being made in the uh, late seventeen hundreds. Uh yeah, uh, mid eighteen hundreds. No, going for earlier than that. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And then it was prohibited. Yes. Um, do you have any, let's say, anecdotes of people you've known who have produced this, I guess, community spirit? Yeah. Uh, um, one of my earliest memories of this, of the community spirit, would have to be um, uh, an, an old friend of mine from the music trade. Um, shout out to Alex Posniak. He's a composer. Uh, and he's, uh, I've heard that name before. Yeah, he's, he's an Australian composer and, uh, and, and top bloke. I will send him this podcast now that I've mentioned him. But he's, um, uh, he, uh, I was actually having, I had a drink once at his dad's place up on the Northern Beaches. Like he was like Narrabeen or D-Way or something yeah. up that way in Sydney. And I, uh, <laughs> I rode my motorcycle up to his place and it was this, and this, I must've been 21 or 22 or something. And, and I, I rode my bike up there and his dad kept pouring me these glasses of, um, uh, his, his grappa that he'd made. Yeah. And and he said, oh, it's you know, and his you know his surname's Posniak. It's a it's a very Polish, yeah, you know, uh, background. And I was like, he said, oh, you, you've just got to, you've got to try this. Like it's, I said, oh, okay, I, I am riding. So just what's the proof on this? And he said, oh, it's 98 percent ABV, somewhere around there. And and I said, oh, it sounds a bit high. And and he said, a little bit, a little bit. And he said, <laughs> oh, it might might be a bit maybe mid eighties this one, but you know, it's it's one of my favorite ones. I'll share it with you. And I said, oh, I am riding, and he goes, Oh no, this is so high proof; it, it gets past the uh, the breath checks on on the highway patrol cops. I don't believe that. I <laughs> know uh, <laughs> that was my immediate reaction. Yeah. I was like, no, I'm not sure about that. I'm not sure that's right. Yeah. No, 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 trust me, trust me, trust me. <laughs> it's okay. You can have a have a sip. And so he poured me the equivalent of about sort of forty or fifty mils in a glass, and said, Oh, look, you can have as much as you want. You you can still ride because you're, you're fine. You're the, you skip past the. You won't be able. To, won't detect. And I said, "Oh, I really appreciate the that. fact that if you get to them is a godsend, really. Because yeah. <laughs> if they stop you, they're doing you a favor. Yeah, right. Point. You're lucky you could actually see after that. <laughs> so I had one sip, tasted the proof on this thing, and went, "Wow, that's that's up there. That's up there. That's fun." <laughs> I said, "It's tasty." I said, "I really appreciate that." But it was like, I I uh, had one sip, and I was like, "I'm just going to leave the other 48 mils you've poured for me just just." going to move that to the middle of the table i have nothing to do with that drink anymore yeah yeah so i was fine to ride but i was just it was one of those things where it was like he, he was confident that oh that the the rbts don't pick this up and i was like 
<laughs> I still remember not. that conversation. That was good fun. But no, no one should ever think about that. Yeah, no, no, don't, <laughs> don't drink and drive, folks. But it was just one of those things where it was like, it, you know, that was one of my earlier experiences of the spirit because it was, and I didn't really know what grappa was then because I was uh, mm. in my early 20s. I had no idea what this was. Uh, I, I enjoyed rum at that time. I enjoyed whiskey at that time. But I was sort of like, yeah, this is fun. And um, I think it was, it was a bit of an eye opener for me in terms of uh, regionality and spirit. Yeah. And, and they're, like we've been talking about, these these rustic spirits, they are regional. They're, they're super regional. In mm, fact, mm. they're almost entirely produced and consumed by people from certain parts of the world. So think like shochu. Entirely produced and consumed in Japan with yep. a very small percentage outside of that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, grappa, entirely produced and consumed in Italy with a small percentage out of that. And it's usually Italian immigrant families around Australia or wherever they are producing it in their backyard for their community. Same with Rakia, same with... So um, we got this uh, Cipro here, which is a Greek uh, mark spirit similar to, to Grappa. And um, this has actually been produced by... Uh, the producer here, Vula, and her father. And I might actually get her to jump in and have a little chat about it right now. Howdy, folks. I'm I'm Vula. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for coming on. Uh, can you share with us the production behind this Cipro and the history with your family? With uh, it? Oh, look, Dad used to get probably, and disclaimer, Dad has passed away since, this, um, since I last made this, but... Um, uh, he used to get about a hundred cases of grapes delivered to the house. Yep. <laughs> and so over a weekend, it was essentially my siblings, <laughs> my dad and I, um, all um, crushing, crushing those uh, grapes up, and yep. it would work out to be about, I would say, a good decent eight to ten barrels, large barrels, yep. and in that were were um, all placed around the veranda that my dad had already boarded up with. So no one could see and look into <laughs> and then sit on the back there for um, for the next three to four months um, and uh, just fermenting away and him, you know, nurturing that um, during that time. And then when it came time to do the actual stilling process, um, it was a – that was also a big, you know, it was a big process in itself as well. Um, yeah. it, you know, it um, uh, Dad made his own still. As well, yeah. so he made that from scratch because he learnt how to make it from his father, and so and so on and so on. So my and his grand, you know, um, and so now I'm the only one that knows how to make it in our family. So you um, have an obligation <laughs> to you now have an obligation this. to continue this family lineage. Exactly. Look, and each time, you know, obviously with that amount, there was um, a bit left over after Dad passed away. So I've almost finished it all yeah <laughs> so so when it next the, comes the time, time is coming to you yes. for you to produce yes and so the still you know like I, and i still have that still so I, when i do have to do it yeah i, I saw will. the still in your house it's um yeah it's a very interesting rustic style still you would actually you would love it you would find it as interesting as i did it's in two parts uh, two parts so yeah, yeah. Look like a still and you smash it all together and and, yeah, nice. And nice. look, you know, we we would sit there in the middle of inter, winter, and I would have to do help Dad um, do that process. And because Dad liked the um, flavor of aniseed, so we would put aniseed in that flavoring, and um, and 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 um, yeah, and it would produce somewhere between three hundred and eighty to four hundred liters of alcohol. Um, and it was a decent amount. So, um, and you know, he wouldn't only just drink it for himself. He would give it to 
um, friends and family and as that well. that leads into that community spirit, right? Yeah. This is one of those things that is very similar to, to Kurapa. It's made in a very similar way. Yeah, it, um, correct. Exactly. My fa- like, um, and, a lot, and often a lot of the, uh, the Rellos and the friends would like my dad's version because he had a good reputation for making one that was drinkable. Yeah. That's a lot of times someone rather than the so 60, drinkable. 70%. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And uh, you know, and it was about probably about 48 proof, I would say. And yeah. um and you 48 know, proof or 48% ABV? Yeah, so, yeah, so, something like that. 48, okay. yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, 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 sure. And um I and look, the the local little term that we used to call it in our family was <laughs> the cheeky term, I should say. Um it was um petrol. Mm. <laughs> Just, you know, but, you know, that was just purely because we was you know, joke with Dad that you could start a car with this. Yeah, and it's it's kind of the thought that a lot of people have around these, these spirits because they're used to being given a bottle by a neighbour or something like that and they don't know the ABV, but a lot of it can be very rough or very harsh, but some of it can be incredibly beautiful and yep. delicious oh, yeah. stuff and that's why it's continued to be produced still to this day. I remember um, my cousin Gordon... When he got married to his wife Edie, uh, her family brought their rakia into the wedding, and so well, this wedding was at a pub in Wollongong, and they poured out two different rakias. One was a strawberry infused rakia, and one was just straight rakia. It was all produced in their backyard. Mm. And so everyone who was under 18 got the strawberry rakia. Everyone else got the actual rakia. <laughs> <laughs> Not quite when our family celebrations. We all got the same one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, think, I think Edie wanted um, her, fa- uh, her family to put a strawberry one on for people who didn't want to drink the, the, the proper rakia, which would have been around 58%. I unfortunately didn't get to taste either of them because I was driving and I was on my... Um, Peas. Ah, Early peas, yeah. Peas. I think I was maybe 16 or 17 at the time. So, um, yeah, I wasn't able to taste this. But it is. it brings that community into it, right? Absolutely. It, look, my dad took a bottle with him whenever we went to a, a good, like a big family celebration of some sort. So to, you know, to share with everybody. So, I also so, love so is this one, what we're drinking now, is this yours? Yeah, yep. yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm going to be completely honest with you. I'm struggling with this. Um, I don't, it's just, I'm not, I don't dislike aniseed, but I, I it's not my thing. Does no, that make sense? And, and, and it is, and, and, and it's not everyone's cup of tea, aniseed. Yeah. But every time I could put any sort of flavoring in at that stilling process and it would be different. Hmm. But it would yeah, be, yeah, 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 so that it's just about the flavoring. For this. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. I get it. I get it. I, so, I, I get it. It's just, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's hard work for me. It's very aniseed heavy, dad, isn't it? Very dad, aniseed, Dad yeah. loved it, so that's why we went with aniseed. And you reckon this is about 48-ish percent Yeah, it was about, it would always be between somewhere between 46 to 48. Okay. Yeah. Definitely. Um, every time. He was spot on. And I'm guessing he wasn't using like a Snap 41 sort of like... Uh, barometer to check no, that. He had an official, you know, full on one and everything. It would like be a that. hydrometer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, one of the old, yeah. uh, the old weighted ones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, yeah. Had an old weighted, weighted. he had an old weight, and I still have that yeah, as well. The, yeah, yeah, they're pretty so, accurate. So yeah. I have that, and I have all of that. That was sort of, you know, one thing I just was determined to keep. Yeah, so thank you very much for sharing. Yeah. You're yeah. welcome. Do you have any intention to make this again in probably the future? Once, once it's all um, gone, I probably yeah. will definitely. Yeah, with your nephews or n- I, don't, nieces I don't think or... you have a choice. I know. Yeah. I don't think your choice is it's part of your family history now. You have to. That's true. That's true. I have to pass it down somehow. <laughs> exactly. <I think>. Yes. <laughs> Keep it going. So, and I'm pretty sure my nephew would definitely jump on board anytime. <laughs> <laughs>
Well, after Vula has introduced this spirit, I think we should go back into you know the production of some of these spirits and what distillation actually is as a whole. Sure, we would we've already mentioned it in the the sixty second history earlier on, but yep. So distillation, as we mentioned, is that separation of components, compounds, via their boiling point. So modern distillation is modern yes. distillation is uh, yep. traditional distillation less so. It's more about just making it a more stable product, I guess, as a whole. Um, and it was obviously originally seen as alchemy, but now it's a bit more scientific than that. I mean, even even the word. I mean, the word distillate, distill. Uh, it comes from it comes from the meaning of to drip. Yeah. To to drip out to to extract. Yeah, exactly. So that that's that's something which we've always we've always relied upon. Sorry, relied upon to to have as our basis for distillation. Um, and that's and that's something that you know the uh, Arabs used and something that that has been used in Greek mythology and Chinese history of of distillation. Yeah, going all the way back to I think the earliest distillation was I guess uh, eleven hundred BCE. Um, Spain, I believe it was in Babylon, Mesopotamia. Yeah, Mesopotamia. Mesopotamia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah, yeah, Spain, Mesopotamia. Yeah, the, yeah. The, same, same. No one knows. No one knows the actual genesis of distillation. No. The earliest evidence I've found, yeah, is Mesopotamia, and mm. the, the, by the the ancient Babylonians um, producing a, a distilled spirit purely for perfumes. Yeah, yeah, um, and it's evolved out of that. But yeah, we. But see the first potable spirit as a drinking spirit was Spain and China. Spain and China. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Around uh, 100, 100, 200, first or second century. Mm. But we see it start to really evolve around the eleven, thirteen hundreds in certain parts of the world, forming the origins of the world's more common spirits like brandy or whiskey or. Um, Realm comes a bit later, but you know a mm. few of these things are starting to be developed in different parts of the world around that eleven to thirteen hundreds. Mm. Like especially in like Ireland, especially in parts of France, France, and, yeah, and, oh, yeah. Um, and the Netherlands as well. Netherlands as well, yeah. I mean, yeah. no, no country can lay claim to inventing sort of like drinkable spirit. No, uh, and I think that's kind of a good thing because it's not like we're all saying, "Oh, we all owe a debt to." You know the Greeks or the, no, the, the Chinese exactly. or whatever. It's like we, we're all just producing that spirit, uh, which is created over centuries and centuries, if not millennia, of of development. Yeah, well, yeah, like I said, distillation starts in Mesopotamia and then sp- spreads out like a spiderweb. But potable spirits, mm. no one can really lay claim to that. No, 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 and, and no one should. I don't think anyone really. No, does. no one should really care. Although to well, the Scots like to think they invented whiskey, but yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. As much as I'd love to tell them otherwise, <laughs> but and the Irish like to think they did as well. So it's, but it's, but yeah, the the term "vishkivar" or mm. which is obviously Gaelic for the water of life, which mm. is a common term throughout uh, spirit production globally. Yep. Uh, with eau de vie in in France and uh, aquavite in Latin. Yep. We have this common term of the water of life being a medicine, or you know, treated mm. in such a highly revered manner. Mm. Um, and Vishkivar being the or well the predecessor of what we are drinking here today, which is Pochin. Mm. Um, these spirits, they again tie back into that community, that mm. that culture that is so heavily, but still so heavily grounded today. Which is spirit is tied to almost every culture around the world in some way, shape, or form. 
Which leads back into that community spirit aspect yeah. you touched on. Cipro from Greece or, mm. you know, Pochin from Ireland, from a specifically rural Ireland. Yeah. Have you seen any really unique distillation processes for some of these spirits? Yes and no. Um, on, on the no side, I mean, I, I see you see a lot of replication. Yeah. You see a lot of replication going on, which is fine because that that's... But I wonder how much that's sort of learning and, and adapting off what's already been or innovating in, in, in any new space in that. Um, what, where, what confuses me is that the, there are some countries doing really sort of odd distillation and that is parts of Europe still and that's actually parts of China as well. There's some, I mean, Chinese distillation is something that I'm quite fascinated with. I mean, they've got their, their rustic spirit, their cultural spirit, which is Baiju. Baiju is an exam- yeah. example of, of a, you know, um, you know, clay pot distillation and and still using copper but now using parts of steel to use that to to supplement that distillation is something that i think is changing what we know as distilled spirit today yeah uh, i think another part of it is is very much the uh side of i guess other asian countries doing different things with spirit and how they're and what they're doing in terms of grain usage and and even yeast usage and everything in that in that respect um I, I, I know this isn't directly related, but I'm fascinated by some of these mega distilleries opening up in China. Oh, they're incredible, right? Yeah, I mean, um, one of them is like what uh, the I'm going to forget. I've forgotten the name of it off the top of my head, but it was there's a new just newish. They've been operating now for about five years, six years. Um, Perno Distillery yeah. owned like supplement distillery in China. It's enormous. But like uh, we've never seen anything of it yet. No, like it's like what's coming out of there. I think is going to be really interesting in the next five ten years, because we're going to see some massive changes in the trade. And it's one of what three or four different mega distilleries in China that have been built. Well, I know Diageo own two. Yeah, and Perno own one. Yeah, and they're, so, they're, yeah. They're, there's three or four at least, and there might be more now. I haven't kept track in the last couple of years, but I mean it's it's just this. The industry is growing at such a rapid rate that. But that's changing getting... distillation. Yeah. On on the topic, that's changing distillation. The industry is always changing, always growing, especially. But the it's changing how we, what spirit is being produced, and so they're using essentially Chinese barley, yeah, and Chinese water, uh, and I'm presuming Chinese yeast source to create uh, distilled spirit. Yeah. And put it into wood, probably for the most part. Put it into casks. Happy accidents. And see what comes of it. Maybe that's the next, the next uh, new pochine. Maybe that's the next uh, rustic spirit that we see is not a baju. It's a Chinese barley spirit. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, we're we're starting to see more and more uh, of these rustic spirits being produced for the consumer level as well, rather than just for their immediate community. So, like we said before. We don't really know what the market is for these, and typically the market is their individual community, their individual yeah uh, little pocket, right? Well, that's and exciting. So you, things you go uh, you go to shochu, right? You got yeah. all, you got I think five percent of shochu producers in Japan are maturing their shochu. Yes, um, I was tasting one the other day from a producer which has been producing sake and shochu since the eighteen twenties in the Edo period. And they're making a barley shochu and they've now started maturing it. Isn't that just six unreal? to seven years, right? Isn't that just unreal? It's incredible. 
And I was tasting one from a cognac cask the other day, and they're starting to move into these new world practices mm. for this community spirit, this cultural spirit. That, mm. um, and we're starting to see this development in that realm as well. Same with these guys at Mikil. Like I mentioned, these guys are a, I think it's a sixth generation distillery. Mm. The distillery's actually only existed for a couple of years, right? That sounds like just started producing whiskey. Sounds like marketing guff to me. Well, the distillery itself is named after his great great grandfather, Mick Hill. Sure. And it was his family recipe that he's continued to make, the same as his grandfather did, his great grandfather did, his father. That sounds like excellent storytelling to me. Ah, it's it's incredible. He makes a release once a year, which is the his great great grandfather's actual uh, recipe, which was peated (laughs) peated potchine. A lot of people would have had these really, like you mentioned, an experience with this 94, 96, 98% grappa. Yeah. People would have yeah. had this experience with this this spirit, this style of spirit, whether it be moonshine or or read about moonshine blinding people or, you know, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. Um, with all this commercial stuff coming around, I think there needs to be a bit more transparency in that, going back into that transparency aspect and mm-hmm. people understanding what, this, these styles of spirit are. Mm. Do you reckon that people are interested in learning about these styles of spirits or understanding what this stuff is? Or do you... No. No? No. Changing their experience with this style of stuff? Maybe. I mean, this, I, 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 that's, not up to, that's not up to them though. No, it's up to the producers. That's up to the producers and that, that's up to the marketers. But I, I, don't, th- I don't think that that, that that sort of realm of spirit will be... I don't think we're going to see any huge growth in it. No, no, not at all. It might move the needle 0.1%, but it's it's not really, it's not going to see any huge growth. No. I don't think we'll see huge growth of these rustic spirits in Australia specifically. I think we'll see it in their individual countries. Even then, I mean, it'd be a drop in the ocean. What 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 you see in terms of Irish pochine sales, for instance, in um, in Ireland would be a fraction of what they see in terms of Jamison or Guinness sales in Ireland. It would. It wouldn't really be. It wouldn't really be move the barometer any further than what you'd expect. Right. I, and I don't mean to sound like a sort of doomsayer here, or or like a, a you know, it's not going to work out. It's just one of those things that I just don't get, think it's going to be as big as anyone thinks because it's. We've you've even touched on it before. It's, it's community spirit. A lot of it's going to be produced by people who aren't um, aren't going to be producing for anyone but their their families and and relatives and 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 bringing people together. But that's it's it's small bickies, but it's good. It's important bickies, though. I think I think holding on to that that cultural community spirit, I think, is really exciting and interesting. And I find absolutely, it, yeah, absolutely. And we are seeing these uh, these, I guess, craft producers of this community spirit start to pop up, like Mikil. Mm. There's some crapper producers, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Yeah. Um, I think the last thing I want to really mention is uh, one of my earliest experiences with. I guess a cultural spirit, which is actually absinthe, funnily enough. Okay. And it's actually something I've got here. It was something my dad made at home, which was a absinthe he made with stuff he found in our backyard. You know what? You get as passionate about some of the background of your family spirits, which which is amazing to see. And uh, I'm, that's the only reason I care about this. Do you want to have a... I, I'm going to have a whiff of this. Yeah. Have a little taste. 
for, for those following along, listening along, I want everyone to know this is in a Karloff Vodka branded bottle. Yep. So this bottle has remained untouched since the uh, night that my older brother and sister and I... Uh, and a story I've told great. you a few times, which is the first time I drank whiskey. It and this has great. been made with purely stuff from our backyard. He found My father found a wormwood plant in our backyard. And he just took stuff out of our backyard, being rosemary, wormwood. That's amazing. A few other things and decided to make this absent. That's beautiful. And um, my sister and brother call it the worst night they've ever had. <laughs> Speed round. All right. So speed round. We've got right. four questions. First one. What was the first drink you, drink you ever had? First drink I ever had was probably pinching a beer out of my dad's back fridge. Yeah. Or uh, actually my first proper drink, I, I'll, I'll, I'll say it was actually my grandfather. Uh, he was my adopted grandfather. I never had a real grandfather, but he, he came along and served me up a Johnny Walker Black Label. And I didn't know how to drink whiskey then. Yep. So I downed it like it would be water or beer and had the most intense heartburn of my life. Yeah, all right. Okay. Yeah. Um, I'm sorry. No, that, no, it was good. A great it was, story. I, it was, it's a memory I always cherish with him. That was Absolutely. Cool. All right, next question. What was the last drink that you had that you really enjoyed? Ooh, actually, it was probably about 45 minutes ago. Yeah. When you served me up a Lock and Dull cask sample. Yeah, that was pretty good, right? That's pretty special. <laughs> That's pretty special juice because... Yeah. I don't know who's listening, but I'm a huge Brook Lady fan. I have a soft spot for that distillery and what they do. And I, you don't taste too many Lock and Dahls out of their range. Well, they don't produce it anymore. So there you go. All right. Uh, next one is what do you normally drink when you finish work? Oh. I don't say Kaiju Crush. Oh, I, was <laughs> to, I was literally going to say Kaiju Crush and, and a dram. Uh, no, I'd, I'd normally go a Crush and a, and a dram, like yep. something ex bourbon. <laughs> Some young ex-bourbon whiskey, something like a 7, 9, 11-year-old first fill ex-bourbon whiskey, something lovely scotch whiskey, and also a Kaju Crush. Yep, fair enough. And then the final one. I feel like I already know the answer to this question. Maybe. So it's often called the bartender's handshake, as you well know. <laughs> Fernet Brunker. Now, do you actually enjoy Fernet Brunker or do you just tell people you do? I know. I just tell people I do. There's yep. no chance I actually enjoy that <laughs> stuff. And 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 sorry to Fernet, but your your product tastes like toothpaste in a glass, and it's not my thing. But you know what? We all have our vices, and I'm happy for someone to tell me they don't like whiskey, so I don't care. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, look, I honestly love Fernet, as you well know as well. <laughs> Fernet's not for humans. There you go. <laughs> Well, thank you for joining me today. You're welcome. It's, it's always cool. a pleasure to chat and have a drink with you anyway. You know what? The fact that we're able to talk a bit of nonsense and not be just at Whiskey and Element today, which is yeah. great. Yeah. And, just, and actually just, you know, and catch up and talk about some of the early parts of distillation has been fun. Well, I look forward to sharing a dram with you in the future. And thank you again for joining me. Always. I hope to be back. Cheers. Thank you for joining me on another episode of Spirited Discussions. I hope you had as much fun as I have and have been able to take away something you didn't know. Don't forget to like, subscribe and share with your friends and please join me next time on Spirited Discussions. Mm-hmm.